Why does God need us? It's our, uh, it's our Advent question for today. Why does God need us? And it makes me ask this question, like, like does God need us? Think about that for a moment. Does, does God need us? There is a scripture in Luke's gospel in chapter 17. Jesus and the disciples, they're parading into Jerusalem. And as they're parading into Jerusalem, right, you may know this, the, the Palm Sunday story. Some of you will know it. And the, uh, the disciples are, um, are waving branches and, and hollering and, and crying out, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, essentially the, the greeting for the Messiah. And, and the Pharisees stop Jesus and say, you should tell your followers to be silent. And in Luke's gospel, there's this curious moment. Then Jesus responds to them and he says, if I could tell them, right? But if, I, if they were silent, even the rocks would cry out. God would make even the rocks cry out. Which leads me to this question, like if God can make even the rocks cry out, does God, does God need us? Why, why would God need us? If God can do anything, why does God need us? Last, uh, last night at dinner, I was telling Noah and Ella, my kids, I was... Uh, saying, you know, I'm, I'm preaching on this question today, why does God need us? And I'm thinking maybe I'll just say, you know, I'll, I'll lay out the question, why does God need us? And then, and then I'll say, well, actually, God doesn't. God is God. God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need us. And Ella, Ella was actually the quickest to respond. She said it very kindly, but she was like, Dad, um, I don't think that's what people come to church to hear. And, and Noah then jumped right on top of that and said, Dad, if you tell people God doesn't need them, you're going to make them, like, sad, right? That's not, that's not what people come. That's, that's, people don't want to hear that God doesn't need them. They're right. right? If, if I gave a five-sentence sermon today and, and says God doesn't need you, it would be a bit of a bummer, right? So, uh, luckily... I had prepared a little bit more than I shared with them at the dinner table. And, uh, and that's really the reason we're asking these questions through Advent, these why questions, to dig a little bit deeper than what we might just see on the surface, to, deal, to, to dig a little bit deeper than maybe even what we found in the past, to discover things in the stories of the Bible, and particularly the stories of Advent and Christmas this season. So how, how would you answer the question, why does God need us? Curious what, uh, what the Advent stories might teach us? Let's pray and then we'll, uh, then we'll explore. Holy God of mystery, speak to us. Reveal yourself to us in your word. Expand our minds to understand just a little bit more. Fill our hearts with your love. And Lord, in these moments, just remind us that we're called to be your people. Strengthen that call in the very depth of our being and send us again. Send us again to declare your goodness to the world. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. When, uh, when Noah was uh, 11 or 12 years old, uh, one summer day, I was out working on the deck. Uh, we just had some boards broken, and I was replacing them. And I had, uh, I had to cut a couple of boards, but realized it would be easier with another set of hands. And so I went inside, and, and I said, hey, Noah, can you come here a minute? And he came, and I said, I, I need your help. And he asked what I needed him to do. And I said, I, I, need you, I need you to come outside. I need your help cutting some boards. And um, so he put his shoes on and came around the house. And he came up to the deck. And he walked up and he looked at the boards that I'd already cut and the boards that hadn't been cut. And he said, you don't need me. Noah's always been our truth teller. And, and, uh, and he was right. I, I mean, I didn't need him. I could have figured out how to cut the boards by myself. But but he wasn't right in the sense that I, I did need him. Like, I, I needed him because I, I wanted to share this, this task with him. I wanted to share my knowledge with him so he'd know his way around power tools and, and have some experience with, with home projects. I, I wanted to share with him. I needed him in the sense that I wanted him to be part of this experience. I was choosing to need him to grow my relationship with him. He did help, by the way, in case you were wondering how that story of a preteen ends. I think about that story as I think about the, the beginning of Mark's gospel and our question today about God needing us. The beginning of Mark's gospel is interesting. Um, it doesn't spend any time telling about the birth of Jesus. It jumps right to John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness just before he's about to baptize Jesus. And this is how Mark's gospel begins. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Mark begins his story with purpose and one of the things to know about Mark's gospel, it's the shortest of the gospels. Mark doesn't like mince any words. He's not flowery. He gets to the point. So everything he says has, has significance. So these first lines, they mean something. And it's worth noting that he quotes the prophet Isaiah. These, the very first thing Mark does is he, he goes back to Isaiah and he quotes these lines, but he quotes these lines from Isaiah that aren't, about the, aren't just about the past. Right? They're about preparing for the Messiah, preparing for one to come. They're also about the future. So in this, in this short few verses, Mark takes the past and the present and the future, and he pulls them all together. And at the heart of what he pulls together is this message that God chooses to partner with God's people. Right, so he, he hearkens back to the prophets, beginning with Abraham and, and Moses, right? God, who created all that is, God chooses to partner with God's people to, to grow the family of God's people. And then that continues through the, through the prophets. God partners with, with God's people to speak God's words and to, to form, to shape the people of God. And we know from the Old Testament that God, God could speak to people directly, like God can do anything. So God, God could speak to each one of us individually and directly. And yet again, Mark says, 
as he begins his story of Jesus, God chooses to partner with John the Baptist to get people's hearts and minds prepared for Jesus, the one coming next. And then the story goes on. This is the rest of that first story in Mark. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this, this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As we read these words, as we ask questions of the text, we might think, wait, Jesus is going to be the Messiah. Right? God appears in Jesus, all-powerful. All Jesus could have come and just announced himself. Why does Jesus need a messenger to come before to announce himself? But this is how Mark tells the story. Right? That, that John the Baptist points the way toward Jesus prepares the way for people to come to know Jesus. Mark harkens back to the Old Testament and then shows us in the very story of Jesus that God chooses God's people, right, to point others to Jesus. God chooses to partner with God's people to make, to make God's name known. We might hear this, but I wonder if sometimes in the church we lose sight of this truth that God partners with, with God's people to make God's name known. And particularly in this way, I, I think sometimes in the, in the church, we think of the pinnacle experience as the, as the moment that we come to know Jesus as our Savior. And don't hear me say that's wrong, right? That, that we look to this moment of, of fully knowing, fully being in relationship with Jesus, that moment when we, when we just place our lives in Jesus' hands and know this, this gift of salvation that Jesus offers to us. One of the things, though, that I think has happened for the church across centuries and, and even today is that um, sometimes we, we hold this pinnacle experience, but then somehow in our minds we think God doesn't need us, that, that God is just going to do it all and God doesn't need us to be a part of it. And when we do that, note what happens, right? If we think that God can do all things and we think that God doesn't need us and we think that, that once I know Jesus, I am saved, then all that's left is for me to wait patiently until I get to heaven. Right? We end up with this understanding of faith. Once I'm once I know Jesus and I'm saved, then all I'm really doing is waiting around until I, until I get to heaven. You'll hear stories about this or, or songs about this sometimes, like this idea of heaven is our, is our home, as though this home we're in now isn't home, and we're just, waiting, we're just waiting until we get there. Today, with the help of, of Mark's gospel, I think we, we can start to realize that, that this view that, that God doesn't need us and that therefore we're just waiting around for heaven, it isn't biblical, right? Starting right here, 
starting right here and then moving through Jesus' ministry, we realize that God's kingdom is coming in the here and now and that we have a, we have a role to play in that. It doesn't mean that that moment of salvation isn't the pinnacle moment. But it means, John Wesley talked about sanctifying grace. There's this moment of, of justifying grace when we know God's love, and then there's this sanctifying grace as we, as we keep participating in that love. Right? No, God doesn't, uh, or, or, no, God doesn't have to have us to get things done. Right? God is all-powerful. And yet, and yet God has chosen us to participate in what God is doing. God has chosen to need us to point others to Jesus. That's what we see from the very beginning of, of Mark's gospel. And if God needs us, then we aren't just waiting around for heaven someday, but we're holding on to that promise while we participate in what God is doing right now. It's the difference between meaningless waiting and, and active waiting. You ever think about the ways you wait for things? Like there's meaningless waiting and, and there's active waiting. Meaningless waiting, like you're at the grocery store and you're standing in line, and right, all you're going to do is check out. It's, it's just meaningless, and you find things to fill your time because it's, it's just, you just have to pass the time until you, you get your groceries and, and you head home. Actively waiting is when that thing that you're waiting for holds a, holds a future promise, right? So if, if I am... If I am, let's go back to the grocery store line, and, and I am actively waiting, knowing that, that not only am I waiting in line, but God has this, this future promise of me spreading God's good news, I might strike up a conversation with the people around me in line just to see if there's an opening to invite them to something my church is doing, or an, an opening to tell them how much God loves them, or an opening just to make a connection, a relationship where God could be at work. Now I'm actively waiting. I'm not just waiting in a meaningless way. Active waiting is waiting for something that holds a future promise. And because of that promise, working toward that future in the present. Let me give another example. Doug uh, Fetcher, I think Doug may be in here somewhere. Doug, uh, Doug had a, a recent trip to Peru, and uh, it was fantastic. And if you're jealous, you can join those of us on staff who are all, all jealous of Doug's Peru experience. Um, but right when Doug booked that trip, and it ended up being held up for, for some time, when Doug booked that trip, they could have just, um, uh, he, and, he and Kim, they could have just waited for the trip to happen. Right? They could have just not done anything and thought, well, it'll, it'll be a nice trip. But you see, they, they had this incredible trip to look forward to with, with new experiences and, and opportunities, and it promised incredible views. And so instead of just waiting around, I know that Doug made sure that he was in in shape to hike so that he could enjoy the hikes and the views to, to have the best of the experience. And they, they put some effort into planning the experience out and thinking about what they wanted to do so they could take advantage of, of every opportunity. And they, they thought before the trip, actively waiting, they, they figured out what they were going to pack along the way so that they could best enjoy the experience, right? The future promise made their activity in the present matter. So if we think about those examples and come back to the biblical story today, what does it look like to actively wait as followers of Jesus? Let 
Well, like John the Baptist, we're invited to participate in the future promise of God's love by, by proclaiming God's love and faithfulness today, right, right now. This is where Mark starts the whole story of Jesus. Prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist says, after me comes one more powerful than I. Again, pointing to Jesus. What if part of the way that Part of the way that God keeps revealing God's promises, part of the way that God's people are going to grow, what if, what if part of the way that is going to happen is through us telling our stories, proclaiming who Jesus is, pointing people to Jesus? I might think about it this way. How do you know the love of God? Just take a moment, answer that for, for yourself. How? How do you know the love of God? How do you know Jesus in your life? And here's my guess. I don't know all of your stories, but, but my guess is that somebody told you about Jesus. Somebody told you about God's love. Or even if, if the revelation was directly from God, probably somebody helped explain what that meant, or, or you, you ended up in a church community that helped you shape what that meant and, and what that looked like for you in your lives. What if God intends for us to be that witness to somebody else? Which takes us back to Mark 1, verse 1, the very first line of Mark's gospel. Right? Mark is about to tell the whole story of Jesus in his gospel. But do you notice the very first thing he says? The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. This is going to sum up what Mark's about to write. He's going to tell the story of, of Jesus all the way from baptism until death and resurrection in the empty tomb. But do you notice what he says about this story that he's about to tell? Well, I highlighted it for you. He says it's the beginning of the good news. This whole story that he's going to tell, he, he says it's not, the, it's not the whole story. It's the beginning of the story, which implies that after the resurrection, there is more story. And who is going to, to fill in the rest of that story of pointing to Jesus? Well, it's you who receive this gospel, who receive this good news. Mark intends for those who are hearing and reading his, his gospel to continue the story of the revelation of Jesus to the world. Right? God chooses to need you. God chooses to need me. It's pretty amazing, right? The God who created all that is, he chooses to need us. You begin to ask our question today, why? Why does God choose us? And in part, hearkening back to last week's message, in part, it's a mystery. We'll never fully understand God. We'll never fully understand why God chooses to need us. And yet, the Bible says, God does choose to need us. Why? To help reveal who God is. To help people know this, this love and joy and peace. To point people toward Jesus as Jesus is coming into the world. God 
needs you and me to point others to Jesus. You see, Advent, the season in the church, this time of waiting, it could be meaningless waiting, right? Meaningless, meaningless waiting is, is really focusing on the, on the gifts and the, and, the, and the parties, those things that are really temporal. But Advent is about active waiting. It's about pointing people to, to Jesus, inviting them to experience what we know, that God became flesh and dwelled among us. So this is our Faith Foot Challenge this week as Clay Church. It's to proclaim God's love. To point to Jesus with, with your life sometime, sometime this week. And if you're wondering, like, like, how do I do that? Well, let me just share some ideas. There are lots of ways for our lives to, to point to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you could just share a, a, a social media post about what the meaning of, of the Christmas holiday is for you and share it with friends. Or, or tell somebody how you have witnessed the, the love of God through the ministries of the church. You could tell somebody about um, the resettlement of, of Afghanistan refugees or the, about the tree of love and all the, all the presents you saw today or tell them about the Salvation uh, Army bell ringing or the mission focuses of Christmas Eve and just let people know what the church is doing because of the love of Jesus and let it point to the love of Jesus. Or, or maybe God will put you in a place this week. You're just paying attention that somebody will come through your life this week who just needs an encouraging word that you can tell people how you put your trust and hope in the promise of Jesus. But let's, let's proclaim Jesus this week. Maybe it's just offering an invitation to Christmas Eve or to, a, um, to volunteer with you for the Tree of Love next Saturday. Or, or maybe it's just inviting people to, to know the love of Jesus in their lives. We're invited in the season of Advent, like John the Baptist, to point people to the love of Jesus, to actively wait on this promise of God in and through Jesus. Would you pray with me? God of mystery and beauty and love, We gather together virtually and here in this space and place in these moments and, and are just in awe of this, of this message that, that you need us, our God, the creator of, of all, that, all that is, and yet for whatever reason, you choose to need each one of us here. And so, God, I just pray that, that everybody who hears this message today, those sitting in our pews right now, those who are watching online, those who will watch online, I pray that each and every one may just hear this message, God needs you. God loves you. And then to know that, that together God is going to work through us to, to spread this, this, love of, this love of Christmas into the world. That through our invitations and through our, our witness, lives are going to be transformed. That God is at work in and through this community. Lord, may we not just like, wait thinking that that promise is only in the future. May we recognize the glory of your promise of life eternal. 
and then translate that into the joy and hope and peace and love that you bring into the world every day through those of us who are followers of Jesus. May we point others to Jesus in all we say and all we do with all we are. Amen.